everyone, welcome to Pit Stops the Podium, the Red Partners podcast where we talk to execs who have competed in one, taking the companies from high growth to high scale. My name is Brendan Tollison. I serve as the co-founder and CEO of Rev Partners, and I'm delighted to have with me today Kyle Van Voris uh, for this episode of Pit Stops Podium. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. This will be fun, and I always uh, you know, enjoy talking to people that have served as operators and also as authors. Uh, and so those that may not know Kyle, Kyle is a best-selling author, has written two books. Um, but Kyle, this would be a great opportunity for our audience to know a little bit about who Voris is, uh, and then we can get a little bit of perspective on your origin story of, of starting the firm. Totally. So uh, we we are a B2B education and coaching consulting company, and we work with typically uh, startup companies, technology companies, and we help them build a repeatable sales process. So sometimes our clients come to us because they have um, a sales team that isn't performing where they need it to perform, and we're there to kind of help turn things around. Other times they're building a team for the first time. And I would say probably about half of our clients I would categorize as early stage. So we have a lot of experience working with organizations, probably under under or at around, but usually under uh, a million in ARR. That's great. And so what, um, what gave you the ability to serve that audience? So what's your background getting into that space? Yeah, so I ran the inside sales team right before Voris. I was running the inside sales team at a global supply chain software company. Before that, I ran the SDR team at a financial tech company based out of San Francisco. Those were two very different sizes of organization, and they had very different targets. So one of them was more high-end enterprise, seven-figure contracts, a much larger organization. The other one was a small, scrappy startup that sold into the SMB. So having you know a handful of experiences around those types of selling motions, I started getting consulting clients on the side. That ended up growing. I took the business full-time in uh, July of 2020. And uh, since then, uh, we've worked with over 45 different B2B software and service companies, specifically around how do you build a repeatable sales process. And we have a really strong framework for doing so. That's great. And one of the things I mentioned too is that you're an author and maybe this isn't a fair question. It's probably like asking, saying who's your favorite child, but favorite book. What's your favorite book you've written so far? Uh, the favorite book I've read so far. The written. Oh, written, written. Oh, uh, probably my first one, Cold to Committed. That one, um, it, it was a, what, what ended up happening was in 2017, I uh, decided to write the first version of Cold to Committed because there wasn't a lot of resources out there for SDRs to actually learn how to cold call, cold email. So I wrote the first version of the book uh, then. And I published it. It went really well. People seemed to really like it. And then a few years later, I think two to be exact, I reread the book and I was like, uh oh, we need to update <laughs> this like book immediately. Law. Yeah, yeah. So um, I updated the book then and it was actually more of a full rewrite. So anyway, it's been a big labor of love for me. And I started as an SDR. So I have a lot of compassion to the for the role. Um, I also think sales is one of the greatest careers on the planet. So to be able to contribute in some small way to the sales community is something that's important to me. Well, I love that. And Kyle, we'll get deeper into how you build that repeatable process at the early stage in just a moment. Uh, but we do have a tradition here at Pissed Off the Podium, and that's to get to know our guests outside work because uh, we are human beings, not human doers. So, um, Kyle, what are three fun facts that our audience should know about you? Uh, it could be passions, hobbies, interests. Uh, I know maybe author, we can give you one right there. But what are some other things that our, our team should know? Yeah, I'll give you some fun ones. Um, I did stand-up comedy for five years. 
So that's oh. a, a fun fact. Uh, I dropped out of college. That's another fun fact. I never, uh, never to finished. To do comedy actually. or what, what was yeah, the... Yeah, to do comedy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd been doing comedy uh, probably three years at that point. And I was like, why am I still at this school? You know, I'm failing everything. I don't like <laughs> it. Uh, so I left. I started selling um, gym memberships at a local gym. And that's eventually how I ended up getting into tech sales. But uh, anyway, so that's the second one. And oh, I'm a hardcore Magic the Gathering nerd. I love tabletop card games. That's very cool. Where did you, uh, did you go to like New York or a big city for the, the comedy side? Just San Francisco. Um, maybe for those of you who are uh, into comedy, uh, some clubs I've performed at. I performed at the Comedy Store in LA. That yeah. was probably my, my most famous club that I performed at. But I performed at Cobbs in San Francisco, Punchline. I've kind of been all over. So at what point do you say, I'm going to stop? Or do you still do it every once in a while? I wish I still did it. I, I have to be fully dedicated. It's it's my passion. It's what I love to do the most. Uh, but I have to be fully dedicated in order to to do it. But um, it was one of these things where I was my career was growing. I had been hired as an SDR and into it, and I was doing well. And I was still somewhat doing stand up, but it was tough for me to balance the two. And I saw very clearly I had two options. Option one was to keep doing stand up and hope to make it you know, in 10 years, 15 years. Uh, the other option was, oh, and by the way, be broke the entire time while doing it. Hey. <laughs> the other option was to take all of my energy, put it in my career and focus on kind of advancing through my career, increasing my income. That's what I had ultimately chose to do. Um, you know, I still look back at my time doing stand-up very fondly. I've always said I'll do it again one day, but um, that day hasn't come. Favorite comedian, who is it? Probably Louis C.K. Bill Burr would be another one. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for Brian Regan, for those of you who uh, know some of the older guys. He was the first person I saw do stand-up on YouTube where I said, that's what I want to do. You know, I think I was in fifth grade. So uh, (laughs) anyway, those are my top uh, couple. That's great. I don't know a good transition from comedy to to getting into the sales side, but I'm sure that's a good... uh, training ground for how to deal with things like cold calling and um, sure. dealing with prospects. So uh, let's get into kind of your your other passion, which is the sales side. Um, and so one of the things you talked about was building a repeatable process for early stage businesses. You alluded to a little bit in the intro, uh, but as you think through how to categorize small business, let's talk a little about, yes, there's the size of the revenue, but there's also the team component. So what's it look like in that, I guess it was a zero to one range from an ARR perspective? As far as building the first team? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things to think about. Uh, One where I usually put a lot of energy, this is for the very early stage, when the founder is still doing the selling. I put a lot of energy around who the first hire should be. And there's a lot of... um, you know, a lot of debate around this. And I don't think there's a blanket answer here, but I can tell you some of the heuristics I use to figure that out. So if a um, if it's a non-venture backed uh, technology company, like B2B SaaS company, uh, even for service companies too, but non-venture backed is, is key, especially for software. Uh, you have to look and say, what do I have the bandwidth to do? As a founder, if you have the bandwidth to do sales calls, then I would hire somebody to schedule sales calls. So that would be an SDR who's responsible for doing cold outreach to book appointments for you. Um, And that's because you get to take advantage of your close rate being really high. And sometimes it's challenging bringing on a 
an account executive who's usually a lot more pay or paid a lot higher than an, an SDR. Um, so usually to de-risk it, I, I recommend hiring an SDR. If you're venture backed, the math totally changes because it just depends on the revenue target that you told the board you were going to hit. And then you work backwards on how many people it'll take to actually hit that revenue target. Um, if you don't have time to do sales, so let's say you're a bootstrapped founder, you don't have time to do the sales yourself, then I would hire somebody to actually do the sales and do their own prospecting. So it's just the kind of high level view there. Based on the situation, I make a real recommendation. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It informs like where the gaps are to ultimately position yourself for success. I mean, I do feel like there, there's an element where a founder just needs to needs to be in that seat for a period of time to understand what the market is. Uh, saying their receptivity to your product or service because uh, there's a lot of learning that occurs there. And, and to your, as you know, I mean, sales is the tip of the spear. And so uh, the founder should know it probably better than anybody in terms of why they're building what they're building and what problem they're solving and validating that in the market. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, we, you mentioned kind of that, let's say they do hire um, a sales leader, not necessarily the characteristics, but uh, when you're talking about a repeatable process, a lot of that's from a data. I would assume data is, is a key pillar to that. So how do you think through data as it relates to that first kind of hire for early stage business? So what's crazy is if you're an early stage startup company today, you have access to the same quality of data that Oracle has been having access to for their entire, you know, for the past 20 years. So this was stuff that large companies was doing before, but now smaller companies are totally able to. And what it is, is you look at the activities of your reps and you use the effectiveness of those activities to start to shape your sales process. So what I often say is the greatest predictor of future pipeline is today's activities. It's so important. And there's you know, there's some people who try to move away from activity tracking, which I think is, I don't think, I know it's a huge, huge mistake. Activity is everything. Now, quality of activity is also a big part of the equation. So you need to measure everything. So what I typically recommend is you start with the activities that are happening. I like to track how many calls they're making, how many emails they're sending, how many LinkedIn messages, if that's part of it. If you're building your first team, I always start with calls. So I start with one channel first. I add the other channel later. I don't like to complicate workflows early on. So we start with calls and then maybe even two weeks, you know, a month at the latest later, we'll introduce email and do the same thing with the third channel if necessary. So uh, anyway, first activities. And I track that based on activity type, call, email, whatever it might be. The second one are engagements. So these are people who answer the phone. So phone connects or people who reply to an email or email replies. I try to track them separately. If you can't bundle them together, but you need activities and you need engagements because then you're going to understand what percentage of your, your activities actually lead to some interaction with a prospect. From there, you have engagements. Then you move to how many appointments get booked. So if you had, uh, let's say you did 5,500 activities, you did, uh, you spoke or got a reply from 550 people and you booked 17 appointments. Now you're starting to understand, all right, our activities, about 10% of them were actually engaging with our prospects. And then, you know, a little over 3% are actually resulting in appointments. Now you can start building an, uh, a strategy and then you can take that throughout the sales process too. So from appointments to deal stage one, from deal stage one to deal stage two, deal stage two to deal stage three, 
to close one, however many deal stages you have. And now you can start seeing the percentages between each one of those, and that can give you areas to focus in order to unlock potential within your sales process. Yeah, I love that. I mean, one of the things that we talk about from a RevOps perspective is that there are really um, three big components that you can use to impact revenue. Uh, there's volume, there's conversion, there's time. Um, and a lot of what you're describing is the conversion element. So from this gate to this gate, what's our conversion rate looks like? Is that will indicate where the, the leakage is occurring? And then you can understand why, um, to your point, like what's the root cause of this problem? Or, or, or conversely, what's the root cause of us being successful? Um, yeah, I love that. Is time, do you mean uh, like sales cycle or is it um, other yeah. type stuff? And so for those that may be saying, hey, that's great, but I have no idea how to track activity. Um, are there tools that you would recommend from that perspective um, to make sure that they have a tool set in place? Yeah, I mean, if you're using HubSpot, it's going to track it when you dial through HubSpot. Um, if you are using like Apollo.io, that's a good sequencing tool. Almost every tool now will track a call that's being made. If not, whatever dialer integrates with that tool will. But um you shouldn't have that big of a problem tracking activity. Now, what you might have a problem doing is tracking manual emails versus email automation. One thing I do for every company we work with, and by the way, we work with some large companies too. We have like 30 reps, so they're not all small, but I do it with them too. So this is across the board, is I have the reps manually input their data at the end of every single day. I want them pulling up a, a spreadsheet and looking at their dashboard and typing in metrics. Do we have all of these metrics in our CRM, in our dashboards? Of course we do. But I want the reps taking ownership of their numbers. And there's something weird about at the end of the day, you have to type in those numbers. It forces them to be conscious of it. And then we can also run conversion rate numbers on it to make it a little bit easier to do analysis. But um, I do that at the end of every single day. So at the bare minimum, we should be having the reps log their information every day. Yeah, it's interesting. It um, it it, it dry like those. It reinforces um, what you believe to be important, and so you're creating clarity on what you're being measured against, and reinforcing that by making them do that that function at the end of the day. Um, all right, so Kyle, let's go to the next topic. So we talked a little bit about kind of the data and how technology can be used, um, but there's there is a human element, and so where is the thing about um, building a team? Uh, what are the things that people should be mindful of from a people perspective? So at the early stage, I say something a little bit different than I do at the later stage. At the early stage, I typically am looking, and I'm talking about account executives who are responsible for selling. SDRs I'll talk about in a minute because I have a different philosophy there. But for account executives, you're going to hire somebody to manage your sales process. It's a critical part of the business. What I look for at the early stage somebody who has experience selling a similar product or into a similar market. So if you sell to CMOs, I want somebody who has experience selling to CMOs. And I heavily weight that experience. Of course, there's the intangibles, like are they coachable? Um, you know, are they going to be good people to work with? Uh, do they have curiosity? Like there's all these intangibles. You're still going to look for all of that. But I heavily weight past experience because I find it leads to much faster ramp times, especially at the early stage. And on top of that, you want to look for people who have the history slash proof of um, 
previous success. And the reason why I'm so rigid on this in the early stage is because I've seen time and time again, founders will hire an account executive because they get really excited. Turns out, salespeople are good at selling themselves. And then what happens is three months later, they're in a situation where they're like, oh my gosh, are they not successful because I suck at running a team? Are our leads terrible? Are they terrible? You have no idea. So what do you do? You end up keeping that person for longer and longer. Next thing you know, you're eight months in with the sales rep. You haven't performed nearly as well as you need to in order to make it a profitable hire. And everything is a disaster. And I've seen that so many times. I can't even tell you. I can't even count it for you. It's just so frequent that that happens. So I heavily weight experience. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, they're the, they're the non-negotiables, which gets into like the personality traits, the characteristics of the individual. Totally. And to, to your point is on top of that, there's, hey, we need time to value uh, and we need to move quicker, and especially the earlier stage to see <laughs> traction um, and to accelerate that as to bring somebody in that either has experience in that field or selling to that, the market that your product is serving. So I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um and, and maybe you mentioned some of the challenges that founders have, but I think it'd be a, a more broader statement. When we talk about pitfalls, um, what are some of the common um, mistakes um, that you see? It could be the founders trying to get out of founder-led to sales-led, um, or the CEO as they try to bring out a sales team that, that they make. So I'll just pull out some random ones here. One that I see is hiring a VP of sales too early. I see this with venture-backed companies a lot where... Um, They'll hire a VP of sales right after they raise some capital. It's a very hard role to hire. And um, I don't know if this is totally true. So this is a raw opinion, but I feel like if you spend less than three months evaluating a VP of sales candidate, you probably didn't do it for long enough. <clears throat> There's, it's very, very difficult to hire a, a VP of sales. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, so that's one mistake that I see is they hire a VP of sales too early and they expect the VP of sales not only to build out their sales process, but also to hire the reps, coach the reps, figure out, you know, the operation side of things. Like it's just too much. Um, I find it much more effective when you hire a VP of sales once you have traction with the sales team. And the reality is as a founder, if you can't get a sales team to get some level of traction, then there's no way you're hiring someone from outside to be able to do it. I mean, it's not happening. Very uncommon. So that's the first one I'd say. Makes sense. I think, you know, we we deal with a lot of, when we interact with customers, so, I mean, even yesterday I had the question of, hey, do we hire a VP of sales first or do we hire an AE first? And I was talking to a founder um, and I had a pretty similar response. Like, you've got to have an AE, I mean, in my mind, you've got to have traction and, and it doesn't have to be perfect process, but you need to have some level of traction to give that VP of sales what he or she needs to be successful. Because if, um, throwing a Hail Mary is, is never a, usually a, a good outcome for that VP of sales in terms of expectations. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I will say sometimes you get lucky and it's like, oh, we had somebody who was kind of in the wings forever who kind of built the sales team that was at a similar stage of our, you know, with no from no sales team to X amount in ARR and we've just been waiting for our opportunity to hire this person. Great. I mean, then of course you're going to go, it's going to be less than three months. You already know this person. But as far as like, Hey, we don't have any VP of sales candidates too. I need to hire a VP of sales. It should be a very long and grueling process because it's a very expensive role. And it's also one that is easy to get swept up in where you're like, yeah, they've been here for four months. We haven't really seen much progress. Uh, but we think like we're still building, you know, we're still building stuff here. You should see progress quicker than that. So it's something that I see often. 
Yeah, and I feel like even in the VC backside too, with all the, I mean, there's so much downward pressure being applied uh, these days. So I mean, it's it's a probably a good <laughs> discipline and practice for VC as well, or VC backed as well as for bootstrapped totally. uh, to follow that process. Uh, well, Kyle, this has been a really informative conversation, and I know our audience is really going to appreciate some of these best practices. Ensure you can create that repeatable process at an earlier stage. Um, so you don't get slowed down by some of the people and, and technology side. Uh, what what are ways in which our audience can engage with with you or your firm? So you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Kyle Van Voris. If you go to Voris.com, that's V as in Victor, O-U-R-I-S.com. We have a ton of free resources, blog posts. Uh, we put out a lot of content and um, you'll see our YouTube channel on there. Probably the best place to go, whether you want to work with us or not, you'll find a lot of really good content there. I love it. Value-added content uh, is, a, is a good uh, first step for our audience to take. And um, hopefully from there, they, they can engage with you. So Kyle, thanks for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and have a great day. Anytime. <laughs>